Welcome to True Nature Radio. I'm Lori Regan. And I'm Heiner Fruhoff. In our first few shows, Heiner and I have talked to you about why we think ancient knowledge is of great value even for today's medicine. And we've also provided a general understanding of what the common themes to ancient medicine are. Today's topic is a discussion of a book that is arguably at the deepest root of Chinese culture, the I Ching or the I Ching. Heiner, tell us about the I Ching and why it's important in ancient culture. The I Ching, in a certain way, you can say, is the first utterance of Chinese civilization that is uh, visible to us today as a record. Uh, uh, the first book uh, that was ever created in China and as Professor Frank Fiedler, from formerly at the University of Berlin, pointed out in his uh, influential book, uh, unfortunately only written in German, called The Moons of the Yijing, he calls the Yijing, rightfully so, uh, a record of Chinese, of the development of Chinese civilization. Uh, in the very beginning, the Yijing was just, uh, would fit on one page, 64 different graphs, that symbolize different energetic stage, stages in the universe. And then those graphs were further elaborated with Chinese characters, and that was the becoming of Chinese script. And then those characters were further elaborated upon by text that would become more and more specific. And the I Ching that we know in the West nowadays is a, the concept of it is that we look at this book as a so-called fortune-telling book that people use as a meditation tool to sort of like some people open the Bible and or the Tao Te Ching or other books of wisdom and see what is my reading for today. So people would use coins or throw, traditionally speaking, uh, yarrow stocks, uh, to then arrive at a specific type of reading in the I Ching that would uh, tell you what the energetics of this particular day are for you. So while most, pe most people are familiar with this book from a fortune-telling perspective, then why is this book so important? Why is it at the root of Chinese culture, and what does that have to do, or how does it inform Chinese medicine? The I Ching, in a certain way, is a repository or a synthesis of holistic thinking because it gives us a system of how to summarize the world and make it meaningful to us by not making it too complicated. It is the trademark of our modern way of thinking, our modern scientific materialism, if you will, to divide the world into smaller and smaller phenomena. There is bacteria. Within those bacteria, there are those kind of bacteria, and within those, there are further subcategories of those entire doctoral dissertations are being written upon that, whereas to the ancient mind or to the holistic observer of nature, the opposite direction is important, is the creation of unity in the observation of the so-called 10,000 things. How are you making sense of all of these different people, all of these different situations, and how do you grasp all of them by understanding that there are really only nine or 20 or 60, uh, or in the I Ching's case, 64 different basic situations in the heavens, as well as on earth, as well as of the millions of different chemical reactions in our body in the millions of different ways how uh, strands of nucleic acid can combine to form a DNA, there's really 
only 64 basic patterns. So it gives us a map which we can take to understand and describe the world as large as well as the world within us in our human bodies and make it communicable but also make it easy and understandable. One of the meanings of the I Ching is actually the easy classic, the classic that makes complicated things easy to understand. So are you, when you say one of the meanings of it, is that one of the meanings of the words, the characters themselves, I Ching? Or what, what is the literal translation of the title even of this book? The way how we find this book uh, in a bookstore or in the library or online is in English translation most often the book of change or the book of changes because these so-called hexagrams, uh, different graphs that have different lines in them, they were used to describe the different energetic states uh, that make up the cyclicity of nature. Energy expands in the spring and then contracts in the fall. And you have different stages of expansion and different stages of contraction. And um, these details of how much expansion and how much contraction is reflected in those graphs. And uh, so the title of the book has many different kinds of meanings. Book of change, most often. However, it also means, as I just said, the book of simplicity, the book of making complex phenomenon simple. And very significant for my own research is that it can also mean, I Ching can mean the book of symbols, because it is through symbols that we communicate functional meaning. So for the Chinese medicine practitioner, who, as we explored in previous shows, is always after the realm of the invisible, uh, the qi world, the shen world, the realm of energy and spirit, but to communicate that, you need to use an image, a, an image of something material to communicate the quality of that energy. And that is what the I Ching does in a certain way, that it gives us a symbol language, which we then can use to describe different energetic states. That's why the Book of Symbols, or the Classic of Symbols, is my personal favorite translation. So tell us more about that. Are you suggesting that each one of these 64 graphs are, is a symbol for something that could be happening, say, in nature or in the human body, a representation of a symptom that happens um, related to human disease? The age of holistic thinking that is so exemplary, even all the way to the present day for us, especially in as holistic medicine practitioners, is the Han Dynasty in China. That's when the Huangdi Neijing, the Yellow Emperor's Classic of Medicine, was created. And uh, that's when the Imperial Academy was created that started then to so prolifically write down all of this very valuable, holistic, ancient wisdom knowledge that we still use in the practice of Chinese medicine today. And it was during the Han Dynasty that the Chinese wrote down the map that probably had been existing already for several hundred, if not thousands of years before then, that for them, it, and, and that map is, is what I like to call the alchemical map, the map that links macrocosm and microcosm as above, so below. 
by describing the stars in the heavens, describing the lines on the earth, and describing the functions within the human body and creating a coherent symbolic language that links all of these three things that from a modern Western or scientific perspective are three completely different entities that need three different types of experts to uh, look into. The Chinese had a symbolic language like yin-yang, like five elements, like six conformations, and one of the biggest symbolic systems that was held the most complexity and therefore can go into the most detail was provided in the so-called uh, Bagua system of the Yijing, which are these eight different graphs with three lines, or eight times eight, which is 64 different graphs that each have six lines. And during the Han Dynasty, first of all, the energetics of the 12 months of the year were described with so-called Xiaoxigua. Twelve out of these 65, 64 hexagrams uh, were used to describe the energetics of each month. Winter solstice, for instance, is five yin lines, five broken lines, with one yang line, one unbroken line underneath. Yang standing for expansion for light, whereas yin standing for darkness and cold. So what you have at the winter solstice or at midnight hour, for that matter, is a situation where the energetics are dominated by darkness and coldness and contraction. But within that, at the very bottom position, there is expansion within the contraction. There is a return of the light and the warmth within the coldness of winter. And that is, of course, also the story of Christmas and Hanukkah and other kind of winter solstice celebrations uh, where you basically essentially... Um, celebrating symbolically the return of the light in the middle of coldness and darkness. So if I understand it correctly, these symbols, these hexagrams, these graphs, give us pictures of the way energy is changing through perhaps the seasons. Um, I would imagine also over the course of a day, over the course of a month. Can you talk more about that, the predictability and how that simplifies things instead of making them, as you started off saying earlier in the show, we in modern times tend to think of things as being more chaotic and more complex, but this sy system actually gives us a simplicity and a predictability to life. And it is exactly this simplicity and predictability that makes the system also useful, not just for the agriculturists, the peasants, that need to be able to predict the changes in nature, but also for doctors that need to be able to predict changes in the human body in the morning you have a fever, and then where is it going next? How is this disease going to advance, and how, in what kind of stages is, is it going to get better? Um, exactly. The I Ching is a book uh, or a record not only of different energetic states, but there is an order in which these energetic states follow upon another. Like in the winter solstice example I just mentioned, which resonates, by the way, exactly parallel in the cycle of the day, is the midnight hour. Um, there's one yang underneath five yin. The next step is two yang underneath four yin. And the next logical step would be three yang 
underneath Zui Yin, and then comes the breakthrough at the vernal equinox when the forces of the light, the forces of the warmth, uh, the forces of manifestations are coming to the surface finally after ramping up to that, so to speak. So um, we have 12 tidal hexagrams that describe in sequence how energy expands and then contracts. So does this, this system of the calendar, does it talk about what's happening over the course of the year? And if so, how do we get details out of that? How do we understand the minute details of life from this system? The beauty of all science, ancient science included, is that there is a big picture and there is detail. Without detail, it can't be called a science. And so this I Ching uh, calendrical science uh, is really much more detailed than just describing the double hours of the day and the months of the year, but goes further. Uh, underneath the months of the year, you have the so-called jiechi, which means two-week periods of n nodes uh, during which certain weather patterns are prevalent. Mm. And these two-week-long or 15-day-long nodes uh, two to each month, are further subdivided, each one of them, into three five-day periods that are called the Wuho, the Qishara Wuho, the 72 material manifestations, where the material world itself becomes a symbol for this particular energy that is governing uh, these, this five-week period. And uh, they would be things like the magpie comes out and sings, or uh, the mockingbird stops singing, or the pinellia plant starts blooming, or the uh, mole cricket goes underneath the ground, or the spring waters are receding back down to the yellow springs, things like that. So the Chinese had this incredibly detailed science for the peasants primarily to be able to read and diagnose the health of nature because if at a specific time the mole cricket wouldn't come out when it normally comes out, then they could diagnose that this year nature is out of balance somehow. And in the fall, we can therefore then expect some problem to occur. And for a physician, that would mean certain diseases would come with certain weather uh, imbalances then as well, and certain abnormality of plant growth would come along with that as well. So are you suggesting that in today's world where we actually have a lot of concern about all the turmoil that's happening in the environment and ecologically, that this ancient system can actually help us make sense of what is out of balance and actually what we could do or what's needed in order to bring things back into balance? Exactly. I personally find ancient wisdom systems fascinating, but I will try in this radio show to leave my anthropologist hat aside and look at how ancient systems can be of use for everybody and why is it especially pertinent to look at uh, ancient wisdom systems to make sense of our world today because there are so many things that we already knew before and that we have forgotten now. And the wisdom of the Yijing is one of those examples. 
while the Yijing itself is, of course, particularly those the, the Wuhou, uh, are very specific to a specific part of China, it gives us the conceptual knowledge that nature, as the sun moves forward on its path, cyclically and um, predictably manifests a specific energetic pattern that then predictably manifests a specific material reality in nature. And if we take this idea and we listen to older people who say, I've lived in Portland in this case all my life, and the crocuses have always come up in the first week of March or last week of February, something like this. And now it is two weeks earlier than that. Or we never had mosquitoes before. And now all of a sudden, there is a mosquitoes. Um, so those are ma- changes in the material world that are more than just coincidence, but to the ancient observer who is trained in the way of thinking of the Yijing, it is nature communicating to us through symbols, through signs, that its energy is fundamentally changed and is unstable because every year now there is a major disruption, seems to be, with the way how the weather patterns are and with the way how the animals and the insects and the plant life, it seems to be corresponding to that. So how do we make use of this information at a very practical level as far as, for in this example, nature is concerned? For me, the way how to use the I Ching in modern times is to utilize and train ourselves in the symbolic mode of thinking that the ancients knew meaning looking at nature, looking at ourself, and seeing the signs, the language that nature and our bodies are speaking to us, and then learning how to interpret that. So that means when we see mosquitoes or when you see the temperature rise every year or when it all of a sudden starts raining when it never rained before in certain places or when there's dryness in certain places that never was there before, then that is not an arbitrary type of thing, but it is the language of nature trying to communicate that its energetic root system is fundamentally changing. The next step would then be to make sense of this sign language, and um, that requires some training, just like any language that you learn uh, requires practice to attain fluency. Uh, Let me give an example, for instance, the phenomenon of global warming. From a Chinese perspective, from the perspective of the language of the Yijing, it would be that there is too much yangqi, too much expansive warming energy floating at the surface because the energy that is supposed to be or was for thousands or millions of years even, concealed in potential energetic form underneath the surface in the form of uh, trapped carbon in coal, in uh, gas, in oil, is in incredibly short period of time gets drawn up to the surface 
and then ignited and then is of course this hidden yang is rising up to the surface so what nature is doing it's starting to heat up and what we as human beings are doing we are starting to heat up as well maybe not so much in terms of our body temperature but in terms of our stress levels in terms of our emotional temperature is uh, that's as a uh, clinician I see that the biggest problem in modern times is anxiety and insomnia. Almost all of my patients suffer from that. And that is that, that overall problem that our whole planet is suffering from, that the microcosm of the human body is experiencing a taking out energy from the battery, from a state of potential, and squandering it and pushing it to the surface in the act of stress and going, going, going and doing more and more and more and resting less and less and less so that our hearts beat faster uh, and we have a choking sensation in our throat and when we, no matter how exhausted we are, we can't go sleep. So that is a direct parallelism between the anxiety of the human being to the state of the global warming on a on a on a uh, earthly uh, scale, Heiner, I'd like to encapsulate what you just said to make sure that I have it right. So, the analogy here is that with the Earth, we've taken all these coal resources and oil and gas that are under the surface, and that would be equivalent to a yin line, a broken line, a line that corresponds more to the hidden and the dark, and the material. And we brought it up to the surface of the earth and created activity with that, like a, that more equivalent to the yang line that we've been talking about in these hexagrams and these graphs. So that instead of having more yin in the earth, we now have more yang at the surface and we're out of balance with that. And, and equivalent to that is in the human body, we have a lot of reserves in our body, we have energy that's stored and we need to sleep enough at night, we need to not have too much activity during the day, we need to eat the right kind of foods, we need to not do the wrong kind of drugs, or maybe eat too much sugar or caffeine, drink too much caffeine, and those things would actually take some stored essence in the human body and bring them to the surface to create too much yang. Is that, am I understanding this or making a correct analogy? Absolutely correct. The concept of health in Chinese culture is balance. The concept of health in most ancient holistic system is exactly this balance. And in the Chinese context, balance is measured and described as a relationship of yin and yang. Yin and yang are not two different things, but they are two different energetic states of the same energy. And as you just said, absolutely correctly, yang is energy, life energy in a state of expansion. You, you push it out of the box. And yin is that same life energy in a state of contraction and storage. And we live in a time when we worship yang, when we worship activity, when we worship out of the box, when we're afraid of death and sleep and old age and quietness and boredom. Whereas what we can learn from ancient wisdom that if you want to nourish and prolong 
the active and the warm and the alive force for as long as you can, you actually need to put your focus on the yin phase, on the storage phase, on the resting phase. That is why meditation is so important in Eastern cultures, because it brings you, uh, it gives you more life, whereas we, uh, in modern times, focus on coffee and uh, use other methodologies to push the young to the surface in order to drum that up. Whereas in the ancient balance-oriented system, which of course also likes life and love and activity, you focus on the quiet, on the rest period. And uh, we are, our lifestyle of pushing the young in a short period of time, we are already paying the price of that on a global scale, and we're paying the price of that on a personal quality of life scale. You know, that reminds me or it makes me think of an email that I got the other day from a friend that was a quotation by the Dalai Lama where he was asked, what surprises you the most about humanity? And his response was, a man himself, that we spend our health or we ruin our health in order to make money and then we actually have to spend our money or we do spend our money trying to regain our health. Couldn't be said better. Yeah, so we're on this chase of the of the young and not really respecting or honoring or maybe just simply not understanding anymore about the importance of the yin. And this brings us back to the practicality of the yijing in everyday life. It basically means that there are some very basic things that all of us can do and watch out for in our everyday lives to be in harmony with the cycles of nature. Uh, one very simple thing is getting up when the sun comes up and going to bed when the sun goes to bed in nature. Uh, one of the most successful cancer doctors I've met in China of the traditional kind was a, w a woman in Shanghai who told all of her patients, who she mostly would uh, treat with massage actually, and a lot of them were cancer patients, to go to bed at 8 o'clock or 9 o'clock, but definitely be in bed and asleep at 10 o'clock because that is the time when the energy in nature in the cycle of the day is the most quiet and is the most in storage, and therefore it is the easiest for us during that time also go into storage. Once you pass 11 p.m., then the energy around the midnight hour is already rising again, and people who are very exhausted, they experience a second wind, is because the yangqi is on the march again, and then it's much harder to fall asleep. You know, I've heard a phrase, and I've actually seen this in my personal life with a friend who was actually... Um, in the process of dying from metastatic breast cancer. But uh, can you explain about the term, um, is it dragonfire rising? Part of the job of what the Chinese call life energy is to store itself in a battery that the Chinese call the lower burner or that the kidney has a lot to do with in the Chinese system. So when the Chinese say the lower burner or the kidneys, it basically means the place where the yang qi, where the life force is in storage. And as our life force gets less and less, people start atrophying very much like nature atrophies in the wintertime. 
They want to speak less. They want to sleep more. They become colder. They become uh, paler in the face. And you would expect that absolutely to continue more and more until the person has no life force at all and dies. But very often, and you're absolutely right, um, before the person dies, there is sort of a revitalization of those last sparks that leave all at once. And it is explained in the Chinese system as there is no yang qi left to do any storage anymore. And the little bit life energy that you have is now rushing to the surface all at once. And if you are the uh, uninitiated into how energy works and is stored in the body, and your relative that was with grandma who was sort of in, in, in a state of Alzheimer's and not talking much at all and was in this fetal position, all of a sudden grandma says, let's go to our favorite restaurant. Come, 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 quickly, give me my clothes, let's go. Um, that to a, a traditional Chinese physician would be a sign that that day or the latest the next day, this person is most likely going to die because all of the energy rushes to the surface all at once. Death is also part of the cycle of life. It's not a, it's not a negative thing like we tend to think of it these days. It's just a kind of rebirth into a new cycle. Thanks for joining us today for this episode, and we hope you'll join us next week as we further explore the depths of ancient medicine and how we can bring it in a very practical way into our lives today. If you're interested in the study of natural medicine and other holistic systems of medicine, especially classical Chinese medicine, go to ncnm.edu, the website of the National College of Natural Medicine, and check out classicalchinesemedicine.org, or even better, become a member at the Associates Forum of classicalchinesemedicine.org, where there is many videotape lectures about Yijing and other aspects of symbol science. I'm Lori Regan. And I'm Heiner Fruhoff. Thanks for joining us. <laughs>